Hey, y'all. Oh, my mic. There we go. It's me again. Our scripture. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians. Shocker. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Thank you. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Man, Paul could write. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Amen. Thank you, sir. Well, good morning. Hey, before I get into it, uh, y'all remember David Olshine? He shared with us a few times. Yeah, you can clap for him. He asked for 30 seconds of your time. He would like to say a little something to you. You want to come on up here? Give it up for David Olshine. So on uh, May 29th, our guy Andrew here, I woke up and said, I can't move. It's called GBS. I shared that with you guys about maybe three weeks ago. And so it, we're here to say, Rhonda and I and my wife are here to say thank you. Uh, you can see he is moving. He is walking. Uh, he's, uh, he's our little miracle. And thanks to uh, so many people, physical therapists, occupational therapists. But it was really the 600-plus prayers of people, you guys. Uh, people from this church came to visit us, gift cards, Cheesecake Factory especially. It was really nice. Because the food, the food at the hospital after a while is just not, well, it, it sucks, right? But, but um, with occupational therapy, and Andrew, 17 days ago, couldn't walk. And so he's home, and he's walking, and he's swimming, and he's almost 99, I think 99.8% there. He's just a little bit to go, but we just want to say thank you. And thank you. Yeah. That's some good news. You know, uh, David Olshine is definitely one of my uh, greatest mentors. But I got to say, I've learned a lot from Andrew, too. He's taught me a lot. I'm um, glad you're back up on your feet, buddy. And I just got to say, it's one of the things I love about y'all. Like, I hear story after story just about the ways y'all show up for each other. You aren't waiting for somebody to tell you to do it or ask you to do it. You just do it. And it's, it's incredible. I don't know about half of it. It just it eventually makes its way back. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was going on. So I'm just, I'm proud. I'm proud to be a part of this community. So keep, keep showing up for each other, yeah? Let's get into it. My opinion, it's hard to beat a great wedding. You know, as a, as a pastor, you, you, you end up being at a lot of weddings, right? 
like, like, a, like a great wedding, not a stiff wedding, you know, where you don't really know very many people. You've been to some of those before, right? You, like, you know the people getting married, but other than that, you don't really know anybody. That's kind of like a stiff wedding, not, not one of those. I'm talking about the kind of wedding where you know like virtually everybody, right? Like the kind of wedding, like when the electric slide happens, you're in it, right? You're jumping out there. You're not worried about what people think. These, these are your people. You know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of wedding where, where the people there you have history with. You know, like you, you were there when the, when the couple first met, right? And you got to see that relationship start and grow. You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Like that kind of wedding, right? So let, let's pretend you're there. You're, you're like one of those weddings. You know how it all starts, right? The music starts playing. The older generations, they get sat first, right? And you're looking around the crowd, seeing who's there, giving, oh, hey, like, right? You, you feel that, right? You're there. And then, of course, the, the officiant, you know, and the groom, they, they make their way out. They kind of take their place up front. You know, they're looking around. You can tell he's nervous. He's swallowing hard, right? And then, of course, the, the wedding party, the music changes, and the wedding party's making their way down. They're looking, they're looking good, right? You always feel a little silly dressed up like that, but you know you look good, too. It's like that kind of weird, weird feeling, right? And everybody's smiling at each other, right? All that's great, but we know it's leading up to a really big moment, right? And that's the moment, isn't it? Sort of once the wedding party's there, there's always usually a pause. And whoever's like seeing the music, they know, like make it a, dr- a dramatic pause, or they call it a pregnant pause, right? It's quiet. It's like a hush. Then the doors in the back close. We know what's about to happen, right? And then that door opens up. The music starts. But most people don't know this. I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised. You're not supposed to stand up right away. There's a cue you're supposed to wait for. Who knows what it is? Mother of the bride, Right? You do not want to get in the way of the mother of the bride's moment. That's her moment, right? Don't stand too soon. Trust me, been there, done that. It's not good. But when that mother stands up, what's everybody do? They stand up, right? Now, now let, let's say you're there, right? You're at one of these weddings, and the whole thing's been crescendoing to this moment, right? That's my favorite moment, by the way, that moment when the bride comes down. In fact, I think we have a picture from our wedding. We have that. There, that's my bride. You did our wedding, David Olshine. He was the officiant there. I'll never forget that moment. That's my favorite moment. So, again, you're there, right? You're, you're in that space. That, that's what's happening. And, and you, if you're in that place and the mother of the bride stands up, what are you going to do? You're going to stay seated in your pew, staring at your phone? No. What are you going to do? You're going to stand up, right? And you're going to be trying really hard to see the look on that bride's face, to see her enjoying this moment she's been thinking about for so long. You're going to try to look at the groom, right, to see if he's holding it together, right? You're going to be very engaged in that moment. Am I right? You're going to participate, you know, in that moment. You're going to stand, and you're going to participate. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on the joy of that moment. Or or let's say you're at a public event. Maybe like a, like a football game or something. And, and a certain song starts to play. You'll be familiar with this song. It's beginning to get a bit of a, a renaissance. There it is. Uh-huh. Let's do that again because we, we missed that first part. You know, you know this part. Come on. There it is. There's a strange echo in the room. This is great. Now, you've been there, right? That is so much fun. We were at the pool the other day. 
the uh, Murraywood. We got a membership there, you know, a little public pool, community pool. That song's playing. Everybody's kind of doing their thing. As soon as it gets to that part, everybody just ba ba ba. This kind of goes back to doing what they're doing. It was just, it was so great. But if you're you're in a crowd, right? You're at a public event, and that song comes on, you're gonna ba ba ba. Am I right? And if you don't ba ba ba, you're not gonna stop everybody else from doing it. You're just gonna miss out on it. You're gonna miss it. You know, if you choose to sit there at a wedding, the bride's still going to come down the aisle, isn't she? You not participating isn't going to stop the moment. It's just going to keep you from experiencing it. Am I right? When you're in a place and they're singing that song, you you can sit there and not sing. That's fine. Everybody else is going to sing. You're not going to change that. You're not going to get in the way of that. You're just going to miss out on yourself. You see, participation is usually what, what leads us to experience the joy of a moment when we participate in it. I mean, let's say you're at a sporting event, right? Uh, and, and that song comes on, uh, was it House of Pain, Jump Around? You know what I'm talking about? That comes on like you're at a basketball game or whatever, and they, the camera starts going around the crowd looking at people, right? And they, let's say they get on somebody who's just sitting there. That song's going on. Everybody's going nuts. But it gets on this one guy who's just sitting there with his arms crossed folded. Like, what do you think when you see that guy? You're not like, oh, he's cool, right? Acting like he doesn't care. That guy's cool. That's what cool looks like. He's just too cool. No, you're like, what's he doing here? He's missing it. You're missing it. Right? You see, participation is often what leads us to experience joy. Participation changes everything. I think that sets us up nicely for what I think Paul's getting at in today's passage. You're interested now? I got you like, ooh, where's this going? If you're just now joining us, we've been spending our time here on Sunday mornings, working through the New Testament letter of Philippians. We've been in this thing now for three months. Sorry, not sorry. But we'll be wrapping it up next week. But, of course, it's written by this guy named Paul. He's in prison, and he's writing to some friends in the city of Philippi who are part of a church that he had helped to start. And this letter is about a lot of things. That's why we spent three months in it. On the one hand, it's about finding joy in the midst of, of adversity difficult times. It's about taking on a cross-shaped way of life, right? Having that as sort of our mindset, our phronesis. But at the most practical level, this letter is a thank you note, right? Paul's in a Roman prison. They didn't feed you if you were in a Roman prison. They didn't provide you with water. They didn't give you anything. You were completely dependent on people outside of the prison to meet your needs. And that's exactly what these Philippians had done. They, they heard about Paul and his circumstance, and they sent somebody to him, this guy by the name of Paphroditus, long name, big heart, right? They sent him to Paul with a gift, with, with a bunch of money to help meet some of his needs. On the most practical level, this letter is a thank you note from Paul. He's writing to his friends. And in verse 10, you get a sense of how moved he was by their gift. He says this in verse 10 of this passage that we just had read. It says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, that word for renewed is actually a botany term from the word of plants. And it refers to a bud that has just blossomed. So one commentator translated this part of the verse, your concern for me has once again burst into flower. And so you can feel how much this gift meant to him. I mean, apparently he had been there for a while. And nobody had reached out. Nobody had checked in on him. Nobody had sent any sort of support. And you have to wonder, if you're Paul, you're wondering, right? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Does anybody know about what I'm, what I'm going through? 
And so what this gift did for Paul more than anything was remind him that he had people in his corner. He had people who actually care. That's what he's actually moved by. It's not the materiality of the gift. That's great. It's the fact that there are people who actually know and care, who are invested in what's going on with me. And he goes on to say, indeed, you were concerned. That's where you can feel this. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Basically, what he's saying is like, I see now you never stopped caring about me. The whole time I I felt alone and I felt like, did anybody know? You actually were caring for me then. It's just you're 100 miles away. You 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 didn't have the opportunity to show me that you cared. That's what he's getting moved by is the fact that there are people who cared. Paul then sort of distances himself from the money part of the gift. Did you feel that in the passage? He kind of wants to get, get away from the actual the, the, the money part, right? Because he, does, he doesn't want to think he's a mooch. Right? There was this group of people that would go around, and they would speak to different communities. They were the, called the sophists, and they were great orators, but they basically would just swindle people out of their money. Paul doesn't want to be seen as that. He's like, I, I don't like you just for your deep pockets. That, that's not why we're friends. And so you can see him kind of trying to distance himself away from the money part. At the same time, Paul knows that they're going through some similar things right now. And they've written to check in on him and to get some wisdom from him about what they're going through. And so Paul wants to be clear. He wants to make it crystal clear that just because he's in need, just because he's in some trouble, he's not falling apart. You see, Epaphroditus was there, yes, to give aid, but to also bring back word on how he's doing. And he wants them to know that despite his circumstances, he's okay. He's okay. This is something we've gotten into over the past several weeks. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. It's kind of redundant, but I got to at least jump into it. This is like one of the most quoted verses, you know, from all of Philippians. You find us on coffee mugs and bumper stickers and all sorts of stuff. But his, his, his joy, his peace, what he calls here his contentment, it's not dependent on his circumstances. This is what he's getting at, right? Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I've learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation. Now, we hear that word secret, and we think of like a trick, right? Or like a shortcut. It's like you talk to somebody who's been more successful. What do we usually ask them? What's your secret, right? What's the shortcut? Give me the secret sauce. Like, how do I get successful? How do I get to where I want to be? But Paul, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's like, you know what my secret is? My secret is I can handle all this. The highs, the lows, the good, the bad. Everything in between because the strength that God gives me. Let me say it like this. Faith, faith isn't a way out. It's a way through. That's what it is. It's not a way out. It's a way through. This is so important because the way we try to sell it sometimes. You know, the way we try to like share Jesus with people. It's like we make Jesus to be like your easy button. You know, sort of your golden ticket. It's that thing that's going to make all your problems go away. You're not happy, you need more Jesus, right? Things are hard, you just need more Jesus. Like we try to sell it that way. Then people who buy into it because of that, then all of a sudden life gets really difficult and it gets really hard and that doesn't happen. And they think they bought into something that doesn't work. But see, faith isn't a way out, it's a way through. 
what I found is what, what, what I have, the gift that I have in my faith, it's not easy answers. It's not explanations. It's resource. I mean, what I have found over and over and over again, I mean, people who follow Jesus and don't follow Jesus, they find themselves in similar circumstances. Things happen that don't make any sense. Right? The difference is I think what we find is resourcing because we open ourselves up to the presence of God, the strength of God, and we find the strength to endure and to bear whatever comes our way. That's the gift that we're offered in faith. And like I said, we've talked a good bit about this. If you want to go back and listen to some of the, the sermons from this series, you can do that on the app or the website. We've got the podcast up now. I don't want to land there because it would be, be a little redundant. Instead, there's something else really interesting going on in this passage that I want to unpack. Paul uses all of this commercial language throughout this passage. These are phrases that would have been common in the business world. For instance, in verse 15, when he talks about them sharing in the matter of giving and receiving. Did you catch that? Verse 17, he says, I want more to be credited to your account. Right? Verse 18, he says, I have received full payment. In fact, I, he says, I have my receipt. I mean, this is all, this is all commercial language. It's business. It's, it's the language of, of sort of transactional. This is the language they would have been familiar with, particularly when it came to relationships. Because in the ancient world, this is how most friendships worked. You're in an honor-shame culture, sort of how things work. And, and so friendships, a big, big part of friendships were about you do this for me, I do that for you. It's reciprocity, right? And it made sense because in the ancient world, you're dependent on the people in your circle to survive, to make it. And so a big thing that sort of drove relationships was this idea of reciprocity, which is really a sort of social debt, right? It's like I gave you a gift, and now you're obligated to pay me back. And until you do, there's this shame that sort of hangs over you. And so often what would happen is you're not just going to pay them back what they gave you. You're going to pay them back with a little bit more so you can sort of turn the tables. And now they're the ones who are in debt to you because in an economy like that, shame is a really strong commodity to have because you can use it for your advantage. This is sort of how relationships worked. And I know this sounds like super archaic to us, a bit primitive. So glad we don't work this way anymore. I'm like, Right. I think we're more familiar with this than we realize. In fact, I'm going to show you something. Let's watch this. Hey, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. Got a lot of rain last night. Yeah, I went ahead and fixed your downspout. Huh. Yeah, I don't want you getting any water in your basement. Oh, looks like you got a dead branch over there. Huh, I guess I do. I'll take care of that for you. No, seriously, don't worry about it. No, I insist. Safety first. Oh, yeah. Cuts like butter. Well, do you see your perennials are coming in? I didn't plant those. It's because I did. They call me old green thumb. Really? Well, I got to get you a Fleet Farm gift card as a thank you. No, totally unnecessary. Too late. Check your back pocket. What? How'd you even do that? Uh, don't you worry about that. Not important. You know, I feel real guilty about taking this, but let me ask you a question. When was the last time you changed the light bulb? Jeez Louise, now that you mention it, probably been about six or seven years. Right around the time that I moved in. No, <laughs> no, that's just a coinky dink. It's because I got the LEDs. Nope, I got the LEDs. Well, 
You remember that 30 bucks I borrowed from you three years ago? Yeah, you still haven't paid me back. That's because I invested it in Bitcoin and GameStop. Put it in the college account for your kids. You, my friend, are up 20,000%. You mean that college account that I emptied to buy you a new Chevy? What new Chevy? Holy smokes. Is that the Trail Boss with the two inch lift on the rear wheels for a more sporty look? You betcha, buddy. Well, I better get back to my house. Well, you're going the wrong way. Huh? Yeah, we were thinking about downsizing, but I figure why waste time selling it when I can just give it to you? Why would you be downsizing if Gina's expecting again? Gina's not expecting. Got the old snip snip. Well, I know you wanted another kid, so Gina asked me to make it happen. You son of a- Hey, whoa, whoa! I got a cousin who works at the adoption agency. Oh. <laughs> What'd you think I meant? Ha, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, I, uh, I just saw another dead branch over here. I'm gonna go trim that for you. Oh, Tom, how are you? Yeah, just trimming Miles' trees. Hey, I'm gonna get over to your place after this though, okay? So I talked to Charlie, like you said. Did you tell him? Not quite, no. Hey, I got some news. Gonna be a daddy again. He thinks you're adopting from my cousin? Yeah, adopting, uh, I guess. Somehow. Oh, you betcha. Wasn't that great? I mean, we know about that, right? Gift giving. We know all about the world of transactional relationships. It's hard for us to get to receive anything from anybody without feeling this weird sense of obligation, right? Or it's like your kid gets invited to a birthday party, right? Parents, first thing we think about, well, would that kid come to your birthday party? And if they did, what did they give you? How much did that cost? Because if we're going to buy them something, it's at least got to be that much. So it can be hard for us to receive anything from anybody without feeling some weird sense of obligation. Am I right? We're still familiar with this weird transactional way of, of doing relationships, but Paul, Paul doesn't play this game anymore. This, this doesn't work for him. It's interesting because he sets it all up by using this business language. It sort of would have pulled them in, like, oh, I know where this is going, right? But instead of sort of groveling and humiliating himself because of the, oh, you guys just went way over the top. Now I owe you big. That's not what he does. Instead, you know what he does? This was good of you to do. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Way to go. Right? In fact, commentators talk about how like, curt he is in this passage. And it would have felt actually strange to the audience. In some ways, this is a thank you letter. But in also in sort of a weird way, it's almost if like Paul's saying, you're welcome. You're welcome for this opportunity to provide for me. And then instead of promising to pay them back, he brings God into it. Notice what he says. He says, your gift to me, this was actually a pleasing sacrifice to God. So you thought you were just doing this for me. No, you were offering a sacrifice to God. You were showing God gratitude in some weird way. And then he goes on to say, you know what? My God will meet your needs. He's not promising to pay them back. Instead, he's entrusting into the care of God. He said, you know what? God will be there. God will show up for you. God will provide you with what you need. You see, what he's doing here is he's removing their relationship from this transactional sort of economy, and he's placing it in God's economy. And in God's economy, grace is the only commodity that matters. Grace. And you can feel this from Paul all over this letter. I mean, this is somebody who is saturated with grace. He's been converted to it in the depths of his being. Remember how he opens the letter, right? Chapter 1. Remember this? Week 1. How does he open the letter? Grace and peace to you 
from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go and just scan through all Paul's letters, he begins every single one of them the same way. Grace and peace to you. This guy can't stop talking about the grace of God. And then you even hear it, you know, in the beginning of the letter when he's just gushing all over these Philippians. Listen to what he says. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership and the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is his understanding of God. It's a God who starts something in us and then sees it through. A God who doesn't quit on us. A God who keeps showing up. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So they're sharing in his troubles in chapter 4. But they also share together in God's grace. This is a guy who is just thoroughly saturated by the grace of God. In fact, in the book of Acts, towards the end in chapter 20, he, he puts words to what he understands his calling to be. Sort of why he's on the earth and here's what he says. He says this, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's why he's here. You see, so many people have a transactional way of thinking about God, too, don't they? It's like God is this big accountant in the sky. You know, on the left hand, we've got this column of all the things that we've done wrong, Right? That's a pretty long list. There's some nasty things on there. But we also got the right-hand column, and we think, man, if we can just put enough good things in that right-hand column, then maybe God will change his mind about me, and maybe I'll get in, right? This is not the picture of God that Paul has. It's the picture he used to have of God until he had this unbelievable encounter with the grace of God, until he got converted to the grace of God. And for him, the God behind all of this isn't some stingy bean counter. It's a God who is outrageously generous. It's a God who gives and gives and never stops giving. I mean, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about God, and he says, God sends rain and sun to the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends good things to people whether they deserve it or not. This is the picture of God that our faith presents us with. And my question for you is, is this how you think about God? Because what I know is the beauty of your life will never outrun your conception of God. It won't. Some of you have a hard time forgiving people. You know why? Because that's what you think God is like. God has a hard time forgiving you too. It's not true. You've already been forgiven. Some of you are stingy because you think God is stingy. And you may not even think that in the front of your mind, but it's true in the back of your mind. God looks like somebody else. Doesn't look like Jesus. Looks like a parent that was cold to you and hard. It looks like an experience you had when you were younger. We have all of these experiences and pictures and images that, that cloud our understanding of, of who God is. But man, to be a Christian means to constantly confront that with who Jesus reveals God to be. And behind all of this is, is what Paul would say is a Trinitarian God. It's a God of triune love. A God of, it's a community of generosity. Your beauty, the beauty of your life will never outrun the beauty of your picture of God. And so when grace gets in on the inside, and when this, when this converts us, right, it changes everything. It's not just pie in the sky mumbo jumbo. There's all these practical implications. I mean, on the one hand, Paul doesn't feel the need to grovel and humiliate himself. 
because of this gift, does he? He just receives it. He says, thank you. He says, this was a good thing. Way to go. It was good of you to share in my troubles. You see, one of the things grace does is it frees us up to freely receive. That's not easy for us, though, is it? That can be a really hard thing for us to do, particularly in our culture. I think it's harder for us to receive grace than it is to offer it, right? I think it's harder for us to accept help than to ask for it. I think to, to go to somebody, right, in our part of the world, in our day and age, to go to somebody and actually ask for help, <laughs> that takes a level of humility that, man, it's just, it's rare. It's not common. I remember we were living in our first house. We just recently, yesterday, we changed a faucet in our kitchen yesterday. I'm really proud of that, right? We should, yeah, clap. But it got me thinking. I remember when we lived in our first house in Ohio, right, we had this... The plumbing under the sink was just like spaghetti noodles. It was nuts. And we had this really slow leak in the bottom of our sink. It just dripped and dripped and dripped. So I put a bowl. I just got a bowl. Put a bowl under it, right? Let the water collect. It's coming out of the garbage disposal, though. So after a while, it would just start to stink. I mean, it would just smell so bad because I just let it fill up. And I told my wife, well, I'll get around to it. That's what I said. We'll get around to it. I'll fix it, right? It's not a big deal. I'll fix it. You know, like six months goes on. And the bowl's still under there, and the stink is still, I mean, it, just, it would smell so bad. And I kept giving her the answer, like, I'll get around to it, right? This weekend, I'll, I'll look into fixing it. Well, she got tired of this, right? And one night, she was out with her friends. The girls there were hanging out, and she just sort of brings it up casually. She says, you know, hey, we got this small leak. Do y'all know a good plumber, right? And every single one of them said, you don't need to call a plumber. I'll send my husband over tomorrow, and he, he'll fix it for you, right? So she comes home after her night out, and she's, y'all know where this is going, don't you? And she's like so excited. She's like, honey, don't worry about calling the plumber. I got three guys showing up tomorrow. They're going to help you fix the sink. How do you think I responded to that? I was so mad at her. I was like, why did you tell them that? You know, it's because there was this embarrassment, right? There was this need, like they don't, they, I don't know how to fix the sink, right? And they're going to come help me. Like I didn't like the way that I, it's hard for us, isn't it? To ask for help. I mean, this posture in our relationships it doesn't come naturally to many of us. And that's because we live in a, a culture where one of the highest ideals is independence, isn't it? It's this belief that the success and maturity and happiness has to do with our independence. How independent are you? Like, how little do you need it? That, that's the, the Marlboro man, right? Bear grills. Right? It's like, they don't need anybody. That's what we think maturity looks like. That's what we think success Looks like. And so if somebody needs help, then it means that they're headed in the wrong direction. They're headed backwards. I'll prove it to you. All right, I want you to fill in the blank. Some of you have done this with me before, so don't, don't ruin it, right? Fill in the blank for me, okay? Larry, got that slide? Blank, lives at home with his parents. How would you fill that in? Still, right? Larry still lives at home with his parents. Next slide, you ready? Larry is a... Just say it. Loser. Bum. Right? It's an automatic assumption. Never mind Larry's six. Right? But this is our assumption. If, if somebody isn't independent and on their, it means that they're weak. There's something wrong with them. And so this can often keep us from asking for help. And don't get me wrong. At a certain level, independence is a good thing. Taking ownership for your life and your decisions is a good and healthy thing. But this infatuation with independence is so rampant in our culture, it cripples our relationships. 
our connection with one another. It shows up in all sorts of ways. I mean, for one, you can hear it in our language. Like how over-apologetic we are when we ask people for things. We ask for help. You ever catch yourself doing that? I hate to bother you. Right? I hate to even, I know this is probably the last thing that you want. It's like we work 45 apologies in before we finally get to the ask. There's this soul shriveling that happens on the inside. But Paul doesn't need to do this, does he? Can you imagine the freedom? Thank you. Thank you. This was a good thing for you to do. And you know what? This is how God works anyway, isn't it? Through other people. You and I, if we said yes to this Jesus movement, it says we've been, we've been, we said yes to being conduits of God's grace. That's what we're here for. And so when we say no to that, when we shut ourselves off from it, we're simultaneously shutting ourselves off from the very way which God wants to work in your life. God wants to work in your life through other people. It's how it works. And so one of the things that grace does is it frees us up to freely receive. And it also frees us up to give with no strings attached. You know, Paul makes it clear that this isn't the first time the Philippians have provided for him. Verse 16, he talks about when he was in Thessalonica, and they, they sent aid to him more than once. This is incredibly generous people, and he even talks about them in another letter. 2 Corinthians, he's writing to this wealthy church, and he's, he's trying to get people to give to this uh, Big famine collection. There's people who are struggling in Jerusalem, and he's trying to collect money from all the churches so he can go there and meet their needs. And the Corinthians are they're being a little stingy, so he wants to lift up to them an example of what generosity looks like. And he talks about the Macedonian churches. This is collection of churches. And Philippians, Philippi would have been one of those. And listen to what he says about them. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Isn't that amazing? It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Paul tried to talk them out of it. And they said, no, we want in. We want to give to this. We want to be a part of it. See, the grace of God had impacted them so much that they were able to give with no strings attached. See, for some of us, our acts of generosity, they aren't gifts. They're investments. We give in order to get. Right? There's expectations. Strings attached. Expectation of appreciation. Of attention. Affection. Right? Or we expect other people to show up for us just like we showed up for them. But man, like they say in the recovery community, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. See, you know what these strings do? They choke out our joy. That's what it is. When we give with strings attached, it's only a matter of time before we're living with entitlement. Entitlement is the sense that we're owed. And entitlement will rob you of your joy. It's like you start walking around making all these lists. Y'all got any lists? Lists of things you're doing for people that you want them to notice? Right? You know what a marriage is in trouble? A marriage is in trouble when we start making lists about what we're doing and what they're not doing. Because what I've found, like when you start making lists, you need to tread lightly. You need to stop yourself. When you're keeping track of who's doing what. Right? The best kind of relationships is where all that's really fuzzy. Fuzzy. 
It's hard to keep track of who owes who. It's just mixed up. That's the best kind of relationships. Like friends, you've been friends for years, right? You try to like map out who owes who. Well, I took them out to lunch last week, and they took me out. You, you can't keep up with it because it's just everybody's just being generous. Marriages work the same way. When you feel yourself making lists, understand what you're doing is you're zeroing in on all the things that they're not doing, and you're not taking enough time to appreciate what they are doing. I mean, entitlement will rob you of your joy. These strings will choke it out. And what I love is that Paul is aware something bigger is going on with all this. Something bigger. Right? The Philippians gave to him, but he says their gift to him was actually a gift to God. Right? It wasn't just about the two of them, but God was somehow involved in it. And he says, you know, because they gave to him, God would then give to them. God would meet their needs. You see, for Paul, grace and generosity is the very nature of God. We talked about it. He understands God as Trinity. We can't, I can't wrap my head around that. Right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. How is God? How is God three? I don't understand. But here's what I know. It means that God isn't just in a relationship. God is relationship. God is this relationship of generosity. And here's what I know. When we're generous... We step into that. When we're generous, we experience that. We participate in it. That's why it feels so good. That's what Jesus said. It's better to give than receive. You know that's true. Man, that feeling. It's, it's also why it moves us when we see acts of generosity. It's like the end of a wonderful life. How many of you have seen that movie? Come on. Was it five months till Christmas? Let me ruin it for you. The end of that movie, movie gets me every time. All these people come out of nowhere to provide for this person. And I'm, a, I'm bawling my eyes out because there's something in me that goes, yes, that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to be. Because when we encounter that, man, we're experiencing the very nature of God, how all this actually works. Man, I remember taking you know, high school students all over the place when I was in student ministry. I took them to Jamaica one time, and, and I watched these high school students go to this infirmary. It's basically third-world hospice care, and they're, they're meeting with these older people who didn't have families to take care of, and they just get dropped off of this place that honestly just sort of die with, with a little bit of dignity. And while they were there, I watched these high school students, suburban high school students, take lotion and rub it on these people's feet. Can you imagine a high school student doing that and, and feeding them? And giving them drinks. I have all these snapshots from that time. Like, I can see it so clearly. When I think back on that trip, it's really hard to tell who's giving and who's receiving. Do you see how this works? It's, it's, oh, it's grace. When we're generous, we participate in that. We get caught up in all of that. Now, I want to say it like this. Generosity is how we participate in the joy of God. It's how we participate in it. We're a pretty young church. Right? What, two and a half years old, something like that? Maybe come up in three? I'm not even sure. It's all blurred together. It still feels like 2020, right? The year that never stopped. But I got to say, y'all have been in such an incredibly generous church already. You just have. I mean, I think about that first, you know, Easter, we took up that offering for the COVID offering. The ways we were able to use that to support the frontline medical workers and, and help people with rent. I mean, it was unreal what y'all did your first year together. I think about what we've been able to do with the Lexington Richland School District 5 social workers and how you've helped them meet housing insecurity needs right here in our own school district. That's unheard of, right? I mean, you guys, it's amazing to see what you've done already, but we're just getting started. I'm going to tell you right now, we have really big dreams. We do. 
Sit down and talk sometime. We've got big dreams about how we want to be a gift to this community. We're talking about, you know, affordable housing initiatives. We've got people throwing out these ideas of, like, developing the back half of our land as, like, a tiny house village for people who maybe need transitional housing, right? These are some of the ideas that are floating around here already. I mean, we got a lot of folks in the recovery community that are part of this church. I love that. I love that. And there's some crazy ideas about how we can support the recovery community with even like long-term sober living communities for people who are getting out of rehab and they're not ready to jump right back into how things were, right? We got ideas floating around about putting a free-to-use laundromat on our land once we get it up and running. How cool would that be, you know? I mean, these are just some of the dreams that are circulating around this church. I don't know that we'll do these specifically, but here's what I do know. That's the direction we're headed. It is. And maybe I'll ask you this way. That bride is coming down the aisle. She is. The question is, aren't you just, are you going to be around for it when it happens? The question is, are you going to stand? Are you going to actually be a part of it? Are you going to participate? That song's going to play. And a bunch of us are going to be singing it. I hope you are too. Because what I know is there's so many of us that want to see things change we're not willing to participate. We're not willing to get caught up in all of it. And what we miss, we miss out on the moment. This isn't about guilt or obligation. I'm telling you, these things are going to happen. God has laid it on our hearts, and so I believe that he wants it to happen. It's going to happen. The question is, are you going to get to experience the joy of it? I mean, when you see some of this stuff happen, the joy is getting to say, you were a part of that. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a family come visit us from Ohio, and their daughter was in the youth group that Lindsay and I served in when we were up there. And to see her now, what, she's like 30-something maybe? She's this amazing woman. And like to know that we played a part in her life, God, you can't, the joy of just knowing, you got to participate in that. And so when Paul says about God, God will meet all of your needs, we hear that word needs and we immediately think of like material things, don't we? housing, clothes, all kinds of, it's probably about that, but I can't help but wonder if what some of us need in this room is for something bigger than that. Some of us need purpose. We need joy. We keep thinking we're going to find that in the middle of our excess. I just need another vacation. I just need another newer, shinier thing. No, the reason why so many of our lives are devoid of joy is because they're devoid of purpose. We aren't caught up in anything bigger than us. And parents, that's on us too. Man, so as parents, our job isn't just to give, give our kids their needs and wants. Our job is to also create worldview for them. It's to inter, introduce them to something bigger than themselves. What does that look like for you? On a real practical level, I promise I'm almost done. This passage is also about money, isn't it? I mean, these people showed up for Paul with a financial gift, money. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be rolling out plans for the new space for our home, and we're going to begin to have dinners together, right, and talk about we're going to take a whole lot of money to pull this off, sacrificial giving, right? But I can't help, and I can't help but wonder if how many of us, if we all pitched in the kind of things that we're going to be able to do together. It's going to be unbelievable. You know, and, and this, the, the reality is, I don't know anything about who gives what. This is all just based on research. Forty percent of the people who attend a church, they don't give at all. And I understand you got reasons for that. I do. But again, Michael, what if? What if we all sacrificially gave to what God is going to do through Emmaus Church? I can't help but wonder if we could learn to say no to some of our niceties. 
how God could use us to provide for people's necessities. That'd be pretty amazing, right? So what we're going to do right now is we're going we're to receive, receive communion. We do this on the third Sunday of every month. Um, Denise, can you mind getting me the, the elements? Communion is all about grace. Um, it's a way in which we actually experience and encounter a unique sense of God's grace. And that's why we don't take communion, we receive it. Do you know that? That's the language around it. Because grace isn't something you take. <laughs> grace is something you receive. It's a, it's a gift. And the thing about grace, think about communion, is you don't take it and then put it in your pocket, do you? That's a funny picture, isn't it? Imagine like putting a soggy piece of grape juice-filled bread in your pocket. No, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? You eat it, right? You let it get in on the inside. That's really what this is about. It's a way for us to tangibly invite the grace of God to get in on the inside, to mess us up. So my question for you before we receive communion is, what sort of grace do you need today? Maybe for you it's the grace to receive. You need some help. For some reason you can't ask for it. Or you just can't accept it. Maybe what you need is grace to get inside and to sort of release you from that. To to enable you, like Paul, to say, thank you. This was a good thing. Or maybe you've just got too many lists. You've got a list on everybody. And all that entitlement and resentment is just killing your joy. Maybe what you need is help with is the grace to just let go of some of those, to cut those strings. Right? To get rid of those lists. Whatever it is. And then I would love for all of us during this time just to spend some, you know, to open ourselves up to like the ways in which we are going to participate in what God is up to in the world around us. To not just sit there and watch, but to stand, to sing, to lean into it, yeah? Participation is what leads us to experience the joy of a moment. I just want you to know what's offered to you all here. It's an invitation to participate, to be involved in what we think God is doing here through Emmaus Church. And I know some of us needed some time uh, to recover from a previous church experience. Take all the time you need, but we're going to keep throwing the invite out to you. We're looking for people to get involved with our students. we got an amazing group of students. They're going to need some adults besides their parents to show up for them, to care, to invest. We need people to jump in and, and get involved with our kids, right, to care enough to be a part of their life. We're going we're gonna to need people to get involved and get invested with what we're going to do in some of the other initiatives you know, here, here in the Midlands. And I think all of us in this room would say we, we want a church like this to exist. But the real question is, who's willing to be a part of making it happen? Who's willing to step in and be involved, be invested? I hope I'm looking at a room full of people because I know God is going to do some amazing things. And I want to be a person who gets to say, I was a part of that. I got to experience it firsthand. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the gift of being a part of your church. God, we know it's not all up to us. We know that you're working right now to bring more of your, your, your kingdom of heaven here on earth. Just the fact that you invite us to be involved, that's pretty cool. And so I just pray for everybody in this room, Lord, that you begin to, to stir them up. I pray that you begin to give them a picture and a vision for the kind of things you want to do through them. And Lord, give them the courage to see through on that, to step out, to take the first step. Lord, just keep us from being a bunch of spectators, a bunch of cynics. The last thing we want to be is that joker sitting in his pew with his arms folded, looking at his phone, missing out on the joy. 
We want to be people who stand. We want to be people who sing. We want to be people who know the joy of what it is to be involved with you and what you're doing in the world. We love you so much. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.